So guys, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we catch up on each other's recent buffoonery, answer some Q&A, and we discuss what bass do after being released during a tournament. Hope you guys enjoy. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. It's another early, it's a Friday morning here in Arizona. We're all at our home bases and uh, ready to talk some fishing. Let's go around the table and see what's going on with the guys. Nick, what what's up your way, man? Hey, man. Good morning. Uh, you know, just it's just another day, another week of uh, chaos and self-inflicted wounds, but uh, still standing, still smiling. Uh, you know, we last week we had that had an awesome guest and kind of took it back to the old school, but we didn't have a chance for everyone to listen to me complain about my ineptitude and all the problems that I caused myself. So, not to leave anyone wanting to hear about my, you know, miserable existence. Let me just fill you in, please. Um, yeah. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I took my boat to our lovely little Saguaro Lake and I put on my helmet with like the American flag stars and stripes and I did my best evil Knievel impression and like launched myself off of a surf boat wake and I got some pretty sweet air, but upon coming back down, my boat was not happy. And so my trolling motor suffered tremendously as it came unhinged from the bow. And that's what did, did it deploy, bro? Well, so the, the actual mount itself where like the, the, you know, the, it's called the bow mount. That thing just went kaplooey and it was already kind of half kaplooied. And then once it deployed it full kaplooied and, uh, I had also been neglecting a lot of little, you know, odds and ends on the boat, but the, the jump, really uh enlightened all those other problems how fast were you going not super fast no it was through the narrows and so it was one of those moments where like you know you just kind of had to grin and bear it was so busy dude on like a tuesday it was Hmm. amazing i felt glorious though if i had long hair i would have felt it like rippling as i like you know finished the land and uh but so i persevered you know i i'm not a registered boat mechanic by any means and i decided that i was going to figure it out and I got the trolling motor situation fixed, which was, you know, I was proud of myself for that, even though most people could do that with their eyes closed. But I had also noticed that the plug on my trailer uh, was done and I had no trailer lights. And so somehow it had sheared off all the pins in the connector. So I thought, you know, I've just got this momentum going. I'm going to just wire in a new plug. I'm going to just persevere and be amazing. So I did that. And uh, I thought, hey, look at me go. I've wired my trailer now. And I plugged it into the back of my truck and I went up and uh, I just hit the hazards, right? To think, well, that's going to show brake lights, running lights faster than doing one turn signal at a time. Man, everything worked great. 
So fast forward to last weekend and my brother and I are going to go up and uh, sleep at the boat ramp and then fish early at Roosevelt. And uh, you know how things are, you get a late start and everything's stressful and I have to pick him up. Uh, he, he drove down from Flagstaff and I met him at the uh, Tempe marketplace on a Friday night at 1030 with a one ton truck and boat is perfect. So I, you know, I valeted it in front of the movie theater there cause there was no one around. <laughs> It was awesome. I was like, oh my gosh, dude. dude, dude. How about Bass Pro Shops, dude, instead of Tempe Marketplace, right across the way, built for uh, trailers and boats, literally right across the road. Let's no. go to the busiest strip mall in the uh, state <laughs> at that time. Dude, I want people to see me. Like, they need to know that Nick has, you know, has risen. And so when I'm leaving my neighborhood, though, you know, I'm all frazzled because I, put the kids to bed. I did all those things. So it's like eight 30, you know, but I'm feeling confident. I got trailer lights. Now the last couple trips to the lake, I realized I didn't have much for trailer lights. So I'm making a left out of my community and I put the left turn signal on and all confidently I look in the rear view mirror and on the left side, the, the blinking is pretty faint, but it's there. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then I look in the right side and the blinking is very bright. Dude, I crossed <laughs> the turn signal wire. So when the left one goes, the right turn signal is blinking and vice versa. So then I started thinking, I think that's worse than not having turn signals is when it's going right, but you're going left. So I had to laugh at that. It was an easy fix. I just took the connector apart and swapped over the wires. But I read on the internet that I think it was the brown wire was the left turn signal and the yellow was the right. Well, don't believe the internet. It was, that guy was dyslexic. And uh, I had to laugh at that, though. But you, know, we, you can show up to like the best lake in the state and, you know, just suck. And we had a good time, though. My brother actually kicked my ass with his fly rod, dude. He Seriously? put on, dude, he put on a clinic that morning. I, I, uh, uh, I suffered behind him, but he had a great time, dude. He lost a smallmouth that was almost, I don't know, maybe like three and a half or four pounds. But it was sweet because we saw it eat. You know, he was throwing like a little bait fish imitation. And we both saw it just like swallow his fly and it jumped a couple times and then jumped off and dude that's awesome to hook a four pound smallie on a fly is it's sick. pretty heartbroken but i made fun of him vehemently i was like see that's why you should use a real rod you can't control your slack you suck i'd only caught like three fish at that point but that's a small sidebar <laughs> what was the pressure like at roosevelt was there a lot of a lot of fishermen dude luckily it's just a big enough lake that it takes it yeah. You know, but it, it's, it's pressured enough that like the ramp is annoying, dude. And yeah. I, I did, I used schoolhouse and it still was like, oh my gosh, man. Like wow. I thought that would be a quieter ramp and it should be, but. I think that's pretty common throughout the country. I mean, it's like, you see these guys pre-fishing for big tournaments and they're just like blowing their, it's blowing their minds. They go in a cove and there's six boats. You oh, know? that was one thing, dude. I was just fishing random stuff because it's like, if we're not going to catch anything, which I, we're going to catch something because the lake's so good. It's like, I at least want to have the illusion of not being surrounded by other yeah. homo sapiens. But Did you experience that, Josh, at your last tournament? A lot yeah, of locals? Sure. I mean, yeah. so where we were at in Raleigh, it was, uh, I mean, Raleigh's a pretty, the lakes are close to the city and it's a pretty good sized city. And a lot of folks fish back there, but the recreation was, uh, was pretty intense out there, man. Like there were a yeah. lot of fishermen and there were for every angler, there were two people just doing something recreational, kayaking, <laughs> paddleboarding, wakeboarding. I mean, it, just just everything. Like I, I just couldn't believe the amount of recreation out there. So I mean, it's a, it is it's a good thing, but man, it 
it makes you really cherish the weekdays, you know, and dude, we're there for a whole week. So no matter what, if you're, you can get put into group A or group B, random, it's drawn randomly, but always one or the other is going to have Saturday as their tournament day. And you always <laughs> pray that that's not you. Right. And uh, luckily it wasn't in the group I was in. It didn't help me catch any fish. It, you know, I, I struggled enough uh, to begin with, with that, but just, just knowing that you're going to be out there on Saturday is a, is a massive difference maker for sure. But yeah, it seems like you're right. I mean, Matt Lee talked about it a while back on the podcast that he thinks that, you know, COVID has had a huge factor in this just pushing more people into the outdoors and it's great but man the lakes are packed and even roosevelt like you know in our phoenix area roosevelt is an hour and a half from the city like years past i remember going to roosevelt on holiday weekends and it not being that crazy whereas like every other lake is just nuts dude memorial day 2021 is gonna be insane like i don't know how much you would have to pay me to go to like saguaro or something on memorial day like you'd have to give me 17 edibles and like a million dollars to force me to go there because i can't even imagine no we need to actually do a podcast from the boat ramp (laughs) from the ramp right on the end of the dock that would be great (laughs) I could see when Nick was talking about hitting that wakeboard wake, Rob was just sitting there. You were just shaking your head, dude. You're like another strike against wakeboard boats. Oh, <laughs> they have plenty of strikes against them. Dude, yeah. you know, we, uh, I'll, I'll keep the guilty nameless, but we, we all know this, you know, kind loving soul. Well, he was a business friend and partner of mine and he's very much entrenched in the lake lice camp. And I ran into him in my old neighborhood park, a couple weekends ago and he came right up to me and, you know, he's got like a 700 foot fluorescent green wakeboarding boat. And, you know, he's got his huge family and they go out there and they have a great time, but he must've like suffered a head injury because he thought I'd be interested in this like (laughs) God awful boat that he's found. It's like a 30 foot like pontoon boat, but it's a tri-tune and the tunes can fill up with water. So you can go like 300 miles an hour no someone way. surfing behind you. And it has like 6,000 speakers. And he was like, check this out. I was like, I like karate chopped the phone out of his hand and stomped it and broke the screen. I was like, I never want to see that again. A pontoon that the pontoons fill with water. I guess that's the like technology. Like a ballast. Exactly. Yeah. The name of that boat is look at me. <laughs> Dude. Or the lesser politically correct version is tiny beep syndrome <laughs> floating wow. tiny beep syndrome overcompensation <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's, it's going to be a dark era if that thing catches any traction oh it will yeah. it will Jesus. what's up with I, you rob how's things going your way just the same over here um your house done nope not done but we're getting closer closer to having a kitchen which is good but um i've been doing a lot of mountain biking um in the mornings and it's really funny because i there's one road that is a uh, usury pass. So a lot of people use that road to get out to recreate. Right. And like, if you get, that's part of my ride. So I'll get on that road and then go to another trail. And it's amazing the amount of traffic on that. I mean, there's from kayakers to just, it's just everyone going to the outdoors and it's like, you can see how everything outdoors is busy because I mean, it's just the numbers are amazing of people going out of town and it doesn't matter if it's a Saturday or a Wednesday, you know, that's the depressing thing is the midweek has been so busy too, man. The times I've gone out. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the house is getting closer every day. I get stuff done every day, but it still seems like it's a long ways out. But well, cool. You can wrap that up and then come work with me on my mobile home. I know uh, now that, that you've going? practiced on a small, you know, luxury custom home, you should definitely come hang out with me in my nice three quarters. Of a Are you working one. on it every day? Not quite every day. Yeah. But uh, I was, I was, smat, you know, the subfloor in that thing is raunchy and uh, they always are. And so the dishwasher and I had like a gladiator combat as I was trying to extract it out of the kitchen. But the floors have all gotten wet for so long that they're like the surface of the lake at Saguaro when a surf boat goes by. And so I attacked it with my four pound sledgehammer and was just, you know, like sending it through the subfloor so that I could get a nice little hole to drag the dishwasher out. And, you know, I'm, I'm very strong and muscular. So swinging a four pound sledgehammer does not make me tired. Just kidding. I got really tired. And so I was taking a break and I had my hand like resting right next to where the hole in the subfloor was. Dude, I looked over and this mouse was like, dude, it was like almost on top of my hand. I certainly didn't shriek like a little girl when I saw that, but it scared the bejesus out of me. (laughs) Like he was probably, he was probably like living in that spot. And I had just been like hitting it with a hammer. He's like, what the hell, man? Like I've been here for 15 years. Where you been? (laughs) There's nothing worse than, nothing worse than rodents when you start. Uh, They uh, freak me out, dude. I don't like spiders, but a rodent was like, I just envisioned it like nine on my finger or something. Yeah. Yelped. Yeah, That's I'm great. actually, we're actually going fishing on, actually it's, it's planned. Hopefully it happens, but we're going Monday afternoon and going to fish into the dark a little bit. So nice. see how that goes. So world. Yeah. I'm going to take okay. Boyd and, uh, uh, my buddy Alex. So and that's another thing. Um, Josh, when you're home, we need to get you out since you don't have a boat. So yeah, when do you I'd leave love again? to, I, I wanted to this week and this week kind of got away from me, but, uh, I'm actually thinking about driving back from Travis. Uh, it's only 13 hours. And if I do so, I'll have like 10 days. So I really want to go. We, I've got Nick, Nick had mentioned Mojave and I've got that on my radar. Uh, yeah. big time, big time. Yeah. I would love to go there with you guys. So, uh, we'll have to keep talking about that and hopefully we can pull that off. Oh yeah. May end up Unfortunately, being you have to drive 13 hours to do that because neither Nick or I have a very reliable boat. So. <laughs> hey, well, it'd probably be fine. I mean, yeah. they're good boats still. They're, they are, but um, no, I, I just, you know how it is. I, uh, I hate the planning, man. And I've already, I've already been doing the back and forth thing so much. And it's like any chance I can, I can avoid two days of airport travel and having to, worry about leaving my rig in a, in a spot, I think I'm going to do it. Then that might be the last time this for the next five months or four months that I can. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i not going to go too far into my sob story from the last tournament because I'm sure the listeners are getting tired of hearing it. That's three <laughs> tournaments in a row I've missed the cut. Um, I told Nick it's been probably eight or nine years since that happened. And it's a it's, it's been a bomber, man, but um, that's how tournament fishing goes. It's very, you know, momentum is a really, really big thing in tournament fishing. And, uh, you know, this one, it, it didn't count for points. It doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, the heavy hitters event, it doesn't, it doesn't kill me in any way other than just pissing you off mentally to throw away a good opportunity. So, um, you know, some of the guys, it was not a big numbers event. You know, in Raleigh, there were a lot of big fish caught. But catching scoreable fish over two pounds, it wasn't easy to get more than a handful a day, even for the guys that did really well. Um, 
especially on the on the lake that I was on, Falls Lake. But uh, just another one of those derbies. I was around the dudes that had caught him, watching Jordan Lee, watching uh, Brian Thrift was actually on. I, I had no idea the entire time until after the tournament, but he was on the second or third spot I was going to go to. And that's where he had, had basically won our entire round. So um, hey, it was – it was. go ahead, Nick. I don't mean to cut your thought off. Do you know what you're going to say? No. I was just rambling okay. about – I I was just complaining. So go ahead. So, well, one cool dynamic of that, though, and I'm interested to hear, is just fishing out at different boats. Like, what's that like? I know maybe you've talked about that a little bit, but what was that experience like? Was yeah. That- you know, it's one of those things that um, – it's it, it's cool because they're they're nice little boats but i think everyone would rather be in their own boat right because it's 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 you've got your electronics you've got your trolling motor you've got um it's it's rigged for it's your office right it it is so it's it's definitely an inconvenience going out of those other boats i don't want to sound like i'm complaining going to fish out of another brand new boat but it's just when when you're so used to your office and you have to pack all your tackle up and throw it into another one uh, it's just not never comfortable and uh, it's fun, man. It's, it's, I'm not going to go too into it, uh, on the show, obviously, but the, the level of complaining that you get from some of these guys that, especially when you have to go out of a different brand. Yeah. Like, yeah at least it was a nitro for you, right? Yeah. For me, it's, it's a less of a, less of a, uh, transition going from a nitro to a nitro, but some of these guys that, that fish out of a brand that, you know, is maybe the, uh, it's not featured in these tournaments. They've got to go to a completely different brand. Um, it's hilarious to listen to the complaining. And I told you guys some stuff off the air that was absolutely hilarious that I can't talk about, but um, dude, it, good it, time it, I was had. It's cool. Yeah. The, the Z 19s, the nitros are awesome fishing boats, dude. They really are like that's, I would say out of, and I'm not saying this cause I'm biased. It's true. Out of all the boats in those competitions, even the non-nitro guys are always happy to fish out of them because they're so fishable. And that's what, that's all you can ask for when you've got a, a camera guy, all the gear, uh, a boat official, and then you and all your gear in a 19 foot boat, you're, you just want a big fishable boat. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's, I think the one that guys really, really, really look forward to uh, getting in. But um, is it, is it hard to tell? Uh, sorry, Rob, I saw you had your yep. hand up. Is You're it fine. hard to tell who, uh, like, who's on the lake? Because they're they're yes. just like they're just they're not wrapped off, or they're all the same wrap, right? Well, that's how I I, I told Rob on the phone. Like, uh, my second or third stop, I was going to make the first morning of the tournament at Falls. There's a boat back in there in this bay, and I'm like, ah, oh, there's a boat in there. So I just keep going, dude. It's Brian Thrift, and he had already had like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, dude, at that point, like eight fish for 45 pounds or something ridiculous, you know, and uh, I had no idea it was him. Not that I would have gone in there and fished with him if I knew it was him, but like, it was just like, damn, dude, that's like literally the winning spot right there. Like, and I had no idea it was him. So I'm Uh fishing the whole tournament thinking I had found Jack, you know, I caught five scoreable bass in two days and, and literally the winner was right there. And crazy. uh, it's funny because you just don't know the boat. So it is, it's hilarious. They, they drive by and you're like, Oh, I wonder, who, I wonder who that is. You know, I, uh-huh. I wonder who that is, but yeah, you can't tell. Go ahead, Rob. Um, real quick. Can we talk about, um, since last week we talked about the, the start of flipping um, just real briefly talk about how, what you and I talked about as far as kind of more of an advanced approach to flipping um, 
and how it's different from one body of water to another. Um, Josh is, Josh is one of those guys that's not going to tell everybody that he lost fish. Um, but he's going to tell his close buddies, you lost a few fish, right? In the sure. last few tournaments and, sure. and, and oh, maybe yeah. a little line choice or a different rod choice just, um, in action may have changed that situation. So talk real briefly about what we talked about in, you know, you can make a different choice in a rod in a situation and make it work out better. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where no matter there's not one tool for the job. You can't just say, this is my flipping stick and take that all around the country and have it work. Maybe if you fish the same lake all the time and you're always fishing trees that are, say you're fishing Roosevelt all year, you could probably have one flipping stick there. But when you go from flipping matted grass in Florida to flipping uh, bushes, uh, buck brush that's in 10 inches of water, in North Carolina, it's going to be a different setup. And, um, you know, it's for me anyways, I definitely, the last two tournaments at Rayburn and now it falls, I've lost a good amount of fish and it's been enough to make me at least try to look at and assess like, is there, could I make it, make a small change and lose a lower percentage of fish? Because there's always room for improvement and it makes it, you know, a couple fish a day, makes your whole makes or breaks your entire tournament and you're always going to lose some fish especially when you're flipping and then i think the biggest reasons on why i've lost a lot of fish over the last two tournaments are they were spawning fish so they're automatically biting it weird like even though you're blindly flipping these trees these a lot of these fish a high percentage of them are on a bed at the base of that bush so that bait drops on their head and they kind of grab it but they're not biting it to really eat it they're just grabbing it to move it off the bed so they're not going to inhale the bait the other thing is they're so shallow that when you set the hook on a fish for listeners to picture this you you've got one fish that's in four feet of water and one fish that's in 10 inches of water when you set the hook that's in four feet of water you set the hook and there's a lot there's four feet of water to provide resistance and drag against your hook set for that hook to penetrate into the mouth of the fish. When it's in 10 inches of water, you set the hook. And if it's not a giant fish, that fish is getting pulled out of the water very quickly. And all that resistance and drag goes away. And now you have slack in your line. So uh, there's, and we talked, talked about it with Rob. There's a couple different things you can do there. One thing you could do is actually, and I've seen guys go to a medium heavy instead of a heavy in that situation to keep that fish in the water a little bit longer. The other thing, and this is what I had done by default to Rayburn is just going to straight braid and hoping that it penetrates a little faster because there is, it's the opposite effect. There's no stretch at all. And just boom, they're just hooked and they're come out of the water, but they're already hooked. Uh, I don't know, Rob, what, uh, what would be your, I mean, you could, you could go the opposite direction and go to mono and have all that stretch too. But if you're dealing with 10 inches of water, that's a whole different scenario. You know, if you have a couple feet, you know, and the mono and the stretch might be better. Um, but yeah, it's just a tough situation. And, and 
and I just wanted to touch on it a little bit because it's such an advanced approach to flipping. I mean, hopefully not everyone has to think about it like this, um, you know, cause they're going to different lakes all over the country where, which you guys are, but I definitely wanted to bring it up so people could think about it if they're having a, a, a problem on their body of water, you know, cause you can sure. adjust, you can adjust just like you said, uh, a local guy is more than likely going to have one flipping stick and one setup cause he's fishing the same stuff all the time. So it shows you how nuanced it all becomes though, right? Like you yeah. can, you can take something that's relatively, you know, simple as maybe an overstatement, but you know, it just, it, it's a, it's, it's what it is. And then you can just drill down and start looking at all those little adjustments that go in your direction or away, you know, as a disadvantage and could make you a little dizzy. <laughs> That's tournament fishing, sure. dude. And, and yeah. you, you get, everyone goes out there and works really hard. And, and, and that was one tournament where most guys were doing the same thing. And, uh -huh. and just say most of the field gets 10 bites a day. I was in the position where, like, you know, you lose a few, your confidence isn't, isn't going really your way. And, and, and like, for one example, I remember one, one bite I had vividly where I flip in there and I had actually gone like over an hour without a bite. And, and I was semi unprepared for this bite. I had flipped over a limb, which it was a lazy flip. I could have I could have tried to skip it under the limb, but I just flipped it over the limb and my lines draped over the limb. So I don't have full sensitivity of what's going on. I'm not the most confident because it's been an hour without a bite. And I, I pull up and there's some resistance and it's such a jumbled mess down there where, where my bait's at. I just assume that it is actually just hung up on a limb. So I'm just like kind of slowly pulling against this limb, trying to slowly pull it over. And I realize it's in a fish's mouth. And it's already been three seconds, right? So I finally set the hook. It's already, as I set the hook, that fish is already turning and spitting the bait. So I barely, I barely connect with the fish. I get it in the lip and I, and I lose it. And I see this big old boil inside the, uh, the deal. And, and uh. just like that right there, okay, that <laughs> fish comes in the boat and, and things are, are your, your course of your day is so different. So like tournament fishing just in general, and you add that with the other ones, but tournament fishing in general can come down to that. Like those fish come in the boat and it's a great day and <laughs> I'm going home a happy guy, but um, you got to take advantage of the opportunities that you get. So like it, tournament anglers are alcoholics because they have to drown their sorrows after. <laughs> it's just, you know, so, and, and, but that was something that was in my control and there's a lot that's out of your control, but um, yeah, there's, you got to focus on what is on your control. You get. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, uh, I'm going to Lake Travis next week for the next one. And that's a kind of a cool lake, man. It's a lot like our, our Arizona Western lakes. It's a really deep, clear body of water. And uh, it, it looks, it looks a lot like our lakes out here. I remember the first time we went there in 2018, I thought it was really cool. Some guys didn't love it, but I liked it. Um, so I'm stoked to get over there and turn things around, but enough of, uh, enough of that, man, let's, let's move forward. We've got some Q and a, and then I have one really, uh, what I think is another interesting topic to talk about today. Uh, so we've got three good questions here from the listeners. The first one was, uh, regarding landing nets. Um, this gentleman wrote in and, and, uh, we appreciate First off, we really appreciate these questions, guys. This makes, uh, makes it really fun for us to be able to interact with everyone. And we thank everyone for taking the time to, to write in. 
but um, he mentioned how he had noticed uh, on some of the big five, which used to be the FLW tournaments, we use landing nets. And in the other stuff, we don't. And he just kind of wanted our opinion on what we thought about that. Um, he was watching a tournament, I guess the last BPT or something, where two of the guys that had cameras on them ended up with hooks in their hands because there were no landing nets. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of indifferent on that. You know, and definitely the whole idea behind the no landing nets, there's two, there's two main things for the tournament organizations, I think look at one is it's it's they they think it's better for the fish you know you're not scooping up a fish in a net and rubbing that slime coat off the fish uh the other thing would be which is kind of ironic i mean you're going to throw them in, you're potentially going to throw them in a live one drag them around for the next eight hours uh <laughs> and cover cover 50 50 miles with that fish in your live well but uh the slime coat of the fish and then it just is more dramatic for tv right like do you, what do you guys think? Would you rather see no nets or nets in, in all tournaments? To me, to me, it depends on which circuit it is. It's so funny. I mean, and we're all guilty of doing it, but you watch the elite guys and they're just like so old school. When we used to fish without nets, you just flip the fish in the boat, flop them on the floor. And like he's <laughs> literally, <laughs> yeah, he's like kicking around on the floor and the guy's setting his power poles or hitting his spot lock. And then he finally gets to the fish and throws him in the live well. But I mean, that's, that's like, we're all guilty of that in the past, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And, it looks and I'm crude not, now. I'm not, I'm not digging on the elites at all. Yes. Cause that's, but um, that's just the way it was. Right. And I really like the MLF deal where they have the penalties with the fish care. And, um, I, I like the way you guys have to land those fish. Um, uh, it, I think it adds an element to it. Um, you can also watch, um, some of the FLW ones where those guys were landing, uh, landing the fish with a landing net by themselves. And that looks so awkward. Like <laughs> I just don't, yeah, that's not, I don't know. I think a professional tour level, you should have to land them by hand, you know, no, no nets. That's my opinion. That's cool. I could get down with that, man. I have, I have, I would have no issues with that whatsoever. I, you know, but we can't gloss over the excitement and the dramatic effect of, you know, in a draw tournament when someone is knocking someone else's fish off with the net, you know, I think that might be the highest and best form of entertainment is when, you know, when netting goes wrong, that should be our next YouTube video. You yeah. know, Dude, that would be amazing. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I mean, we've all, we've all been a part of it. I, I think we've all screwed up a buddy's catch and had a, had our catches screwed up by a buddy uh, with the net. So, I, you know, like a slow motion of like someone stabbing at a fish and like popping the hooks out of the fish's mouth and then burying them in the net so that only the bait and the hooks are in the net and the fish swims away. That would, that's, you know, that's, that's the best. That's like the highest and best. That is the best when, when the rim of the net catches the crankbait and the fish <laughs> yeah. is not, it's on the other, on the other treble hook and not in the net. And how about for much longer? <laughs> how about when you were fishing team tournaments? Like you took pride in how good you were with the net, didn't you? Oh yeah. Cause it's so important. Dude. So important when it, I'll tell you, yeah. there's nothing more disrespectful to me than <laughs> someone at a draw tournament when the other dude doesn't jump right on the net and, and give it all he's got. Like there's nothing. <laughs> oh. It's the biggest F you. It's a when middle you finger. say you've got a fish and your guy comes up and he's got the rod in one hand and the net in the other hand. And uh, he's like, eating a granola bar. Do you want the net? 
dude, drop your rod and run your butt up here and get this fish in the net. I'm going to do the yeah. same thing for you. Go, yeah, Rob, I had, go ahead. <laughs> I had that exact situation. I know I've told you the story. It was at Orville and, um, I believe the guy still fishes quite a bit. He was, it was really new, like he, fishing was new to him at this point. And I don't think he really understood, but he was, um, it was when it was pro on pro and we could use nets. And I think he was really, really pissed off that I had a two pound fish on because <laughs> <laughs> like a two pounder is like a five pounder there. And, um, yeah, he, he didn't set his rod down. He came up all nonchalant with one hand and he barely netted it, got it in the net. And, <laughs> Dude, I I lost it. Like Good, I chewed, dude. Him, I, love I chewed it. him out so much that uh, he he's buddies <laughs> with uh, Ish Monroe. I'll say Ish's name, and Ish like chewed me out after the tournament. Like, dude, le- like this guy's pissed at you. And I'm like, well, and I gave him the scenario, and I think I, I honestly think Ish understood. You know, well, it's take it serious, man. So that's the truth. <laughs> there's there's no excuse for that. Like, no, no. No excuse. And it is, it is a source of pride, right? It's your opportunity to be like the Steve Nash of bass fishing, right? The person who gives the assist, the assist right? Yeah. The assist is almost more respectable than scoring the points. Scoring the points gets all the attention and the razzmatazz, but like the assist is where the like respect and camaraderie comes from. Yeah. My take on it is that fish is already hooked. I don't have a chance to catch it. So let's yeah. get it in the boat and not screw up the school. Right. So good point. Yeah. I love the Steve Nash. What a reference, bro. That's the yes. name of this, our, this uh, episode is Steve Nash. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> Next one. Uh, this is from our buddy, Travis. Uh, snaps on hard baits. Do you guys ever use snaps on hard baits? And if you do, why? Um, you, uh, Rob, I know uh, snaps are, are <sighs> snaps were more popular, I think, 10, 20 years ago than they are now. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I use a snap on a uh... – um, what was that one crankbait? I'm trying to think of it. A speed, speed trap. Because it comes they came with, with a snap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and then, a scrounger. <laughs> yeah, Those yeah, are the yeah, only yeah. two things I ever the use a snap on. With, they come with snaps. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then sometimes like this is probably way off base because I usually misinterpret and don't know what I'm talking about. What about like on an ice jig, right? Like those don't come with any okay. sort of a device so, to allow it not to spin. Right. There you go. So, so you're, and you're talking actual swivel there, a swivel snap, right. but yeah. So, but that's worth mentioning for sure is, uh, and adding that into the conversation, I think he was just going at just the snap without the swivel attached, but, mm-hmm. uh, all spoons for sure. I'm going to mm-hmm. use, I just use swivel. a swivel snap, dude. It's old yeah. school. Uh, yeah. but it on a spoon, it's a big chrome doesn't hurt the metal bait. And it's not hurting. You. You're not losing any action or, or catching less fish because of it. So yes, a hundred percent. Uh, the snaps that Travis is talking about, a lot of times those are like quick. And the, the advantages would be you can take your bait on and off qu- quickly. You can change baits quickly, and they claim that it gives the bait potentially more action. In my opinion, if you're 99.9% of hard baits now come with a split ring, and the split uh-huh. ring does the same thing, and I'm not changing baits that often, dude. Like, And, and if I do, it takes me – 15 seconds to tie a palomar knot. So honestly, yeah, it's a no, no for me as well. I just, uh, yeah. I just tie them straight. And I mean, I, I definitely, I get it, but it's not, it's not worth it to me. I, I, I'm just going to tie straight for sure. Yeah. You should be retying enough that, Good that, point. that, that tying on another bait's not a big deal. That's my yeah. take on it. Yeah. So, yeah. No advantage to me on it at all. 
Same here, same here. And then uh, the last one, this is a little bit uh, longer winded question, but it was, it was a cool note. And um, let's see what we've got here. It was a cool note and uh, it's definitely worth discussing. So this gentleman donated a guide trip. He donated a guide trip. Do you know what the charity was, Nick? Uh, okay, so a, it was for a benefit to raise money for a buddy who has an autoimmune disorder and needs a new liver. He says, uh, well, the trip sold for way more than what I'm worth. Uh, so he's being humble. But uh, so now he feels a lot of pressure to put these folks on fish. And, uh, you know, he's, he's done a lot, of, a lot of fishing. He's fished tournaments. He's taken, he's taken friends, family, stuff like that. But he has never done like any professional guiding and he feels that pressures, you know, because someone who paid so much to, to fish with him. Uh, and he's asking if we've got any advice on this and Rob, I got to throw this to you, dude, cause it's, it's right up your alley. You've done the most guiding, especially recently, man. What, uh, what tips do you have for this gentleman? I, I thought you were just going to say that Rob people overpay for Rob all the time. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> and I was going to nod in agreement. They pay like three oh, yeah. X what they should to fish with Rob. But yeah. I feel bad. like that every day. <laughs> hilarious <laughs> any more than 10 bucks it's is a different a sandwich. kind of pressure dude i'm telling you like it when, is when people are paying <laughs> you for a guide trip you have a weird pit in your stomach it's different yeah. pressure than you have with an empty live well in a tournament they're both yeah. pressures but it's just different man yeah the first thing he's got to understand is that it was a, a charity donation that this guy so the amount he shouldn't shouldn't think about the amount that is what it is um that was for another reason but the as far as the fishing did he say is it a father and son or something is that what it was i believe i have to reread it hold Double on check one sec. is there a young person involved well, i'm not suggest... sure i don't know if it mentions that at all yeah either way oh yeah either it way. does it does it's the trip will middle be dad school and age two sons. sons middle school okay age. perfect yep. perfect so obviously the dad is um, generous because he's giving money to a uh a charity a good cause um so he's probably more in it for his boys to have a good time so i would talk to him about um you know how old they are what what their expectations are um, depending on where you're at, you may go out and get some mealworms and crush a bunch of bluegills to start, uh, panfish, something that keeps the kids, you know, really into it. Um, don't be afraid to use live bait, but just, just make it simple and enjoyable and fun. And, um, you know, ask the guy what, what the kids like to drink is, I mean, is a, is a Mountain Dew something special to them? You know, it's something they don't normally get just make it a, enjoyable fun day and that's all there is to it the fishing is secondhand um you know you're obviously a quality fisherman because you're you know you've fished enough tournaments and you know you know enough about fishing and just i don't know just show them a good time that's all you can really do and and try to get them on some fish and you got to understand their expectations maybe i mean i've had folks that have went out on a really, really tough day and caught one 15 inch bass. And it was the best thing that ever happened to them. And I've had folks that have had, you know, 15 pounds for a bunch of fish and just, man, this is tough, which it's not, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you understand what I'm saying there. People's expectations are different. Um, and all you can do is go out and have a good time and, and enjoy it and making it a cool experience for them. Uh, and against too, you know, kids of that age, the first 15 minutes of your trip may be the best thing that ever happened to them riding in a bass boat down the lake. It might be like, totally. so just, just realize that, 
you know, it's every situation is different and, you know, that's, that's my advice. So. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. You're totally, totally right about the expectation deal. And, uh, you know, it, and kids that age too, like the, the boys may be like, like Rob said, just stoked to be out on the boat, uh, hanging out with their dad, being in the outdoors. Um, maybe they are, you know, kids at, at that age, if you, if, if they're interested in bass fishing, you could teach them a few things that they, that, that could be the biggest thing too, right? Yep. Like it's something yep. that they can, they can have moving forward the rest of their life. Like, uh, honestly, like if, if they, if they show a lot of interest, you could show them how to use a bait caster. And it's, it's unlikely that they'll catch a bunch of fish using that bait caster that day. But if they, if they take that skill and, and, and take it moving forward, man, that's, they had, they had a, a, like a, a legit pro in their eyes, teach them how to use a bait yep. caster. It's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And to that point, to that point, I mean, like, like you said, uh, they could be 12 or 14 years old and they may have never fished in their life, or they may be like Josh and have already caught, you know, 12 and 13 pound fish on top water at that age, you know, (laughs) it was a 17 Rob, 17, whatever it was, but you know what I'm saying? It's, (laughs) you don't, you don't know what you're dealing with, but as soon as you talk to the dad, you'll know the level of where they're at and what, what, what they're expecting. So I remember, a guide trip with an old school rob this might be something did you remember a guy named lon ellington i do like, remember lon El- he was a he used to build fishing rods right yeah i think and he was a Renaissance. To- yeah a renaissance man some fly yeah. fishing some bass fishing and i remember <laughs> you know like i uh um now i have this like weird fascination with like late 80s early 90s like bass boats and I remember now I think about it, dude, I'm sure I was fishing in like an aluminum, like 17 foot bass tracker with that guy at Pleasant back in the old days before the yep. dam, you know, like when it was good. And to Josh's comment about using a bait caster, I remember I was young. I was maybe like uh, third grade, fourth grade and uh, like about my daughter's age now. And I remember that day I caught a bass on a hula grub and it was like a probably like a 12 incher and I had fished hard all day and caught nothing. And I finally caught that one fish. I still remember it, man. And that was like a big, I'd never caught a fish on a jig. Like it was like a watershed moment in my life. And yeah, like that's cool. That's cool. The guy who wrote in has an opportunity to do that. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing too. Like you bring up the first guide trip you went on. My dad and I went on a guide trip with a guy that had the brightest red skeeter you could ever imagine. (laughs) And the thing was spotless. Right. And we went out and caught one like 11 inch smallmouth all day at Apache. It was, but I didn't care, dude. I was stoked to be there. Got a photo in front of the cool boat. And I mean, that's just exactly. So it's about the experience and there will it be is. a memory, a positive memory, no matter how the fishing was. So I it's going to be a great time. Make me want to go. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people overpay for Rob all the time. They Have do. that to the guy. I can't remember his name, but write into us after you do the trip. And let us know how it goes because now we're yeah. all excited. That'd be and awesome. Curious. Heck yeah, so, man. And, and props yeah. uh, for donating the trip. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, la- hey, last thing luck. I'll say too with kids, like it, it, another way to really leave a lasting, uh, uh, you know, memory with these kids or, or just, just uh, a way to make the kids stoked is to throw them a couple bags of baits too. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's kids light up when, uh, especially if you caught <laughs> fish on a certain bait, you know, if you throw them a couple bags, bags of those at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's always an awesome way to end the trip. So, um, that's awesome, man. Good luck with your trip. Josh, you autograph yours, right? 
Oh yeah. yeah every single, every individual. <laughs> Here's a bag of chigger cross for you. <laughs> Signature series. Yeah. <laughs> I just put a little JB on every on uh, every left claw. <laughs> takes too long to write, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one interesting video that I came across, I always scour the best on tour blog from our buddy Dave when I'm looking for podcast topics. And in his most recent deal that he sent out, I think two days ago, there was another video about bass tracking, telemetry. And Everyone knows how much of a nerd I am about this. I talked about it for a month and a half earlier this past summer, and I won't do that to the listeners again for a month and a half. But here's <laughs> the, in the last one, they were studying Florida strain largemouth in Toledo Bend. There's a video on Dave's blog, <clears throat> and the video is to give proper credit it's Bass Fishing HQ TV on YouTube. That's the dude's channel. He put this video together. He didn't do the study, but he did the research and he's our source. So he gets all the credit and he also gets all the blame if this stuff is inaccurate. But um, it looks like he put a lot of work into it and it looks like he's got a pretty good channel. So I would check, I would check that out because the video is going to be more detailed than uh, our conversation about it here. But some really interesting stuff. What's interesting about it to me is, is the main featured study in his video is from Lake Champlain. So instantly right there, you've got a totally different environment and different fish. You've got Northern strain largemouth and tons of smallmouth. It's actually about a 50-50 split largemouth to smallmouth ratio in the lake and, and what was studied. So that's one interesting thing. And these aren't just fish that were caught out randomly in the lake and tagged. These fish were caught in a tournament, brought to a weigh-in, tagged it the way in and then they followed the fish so whether you're a tournament fisherman or not listening to the podcast everyone always wonders what happens to those fish after they get weighed in there are so many anglers that have made not made careers but but made a lot of money chasing around release fish after tournaments and um, there's reason for it to dive into this a little bit they marked roughly 2,400 bass with T-bar tags. So I guess those are just tags that have like a, uh, like you clip them to the fin or whatever. And then they have a phone number that you can call in with a number, a number of the fish and, and describe, they ask you to describe where you caught the fish, how big was it? Uh, so on and so forth. And, there were 150 fish that they marked with radio transmitters, which are instant feedback and constant feedback, like what Todd Driscoll had done in the Texas study that we talked about before. Uh, like I said, it was about a, it was about a 50-50 ratio on the T-bar tags. On the uh, transmitters, there were, I think a, a higher ratio of largemouth than smallmouth, but it was, it was like 70, 30 on what they were able to get the radio transmitters in. But uh, the first interesting, interesting thing was out of the T-bar fish, there's 2,400 fish, say 1,200 of each species, roughly 264 of them were recaptured. Okay. What's very interesting is 185 were largemouth and 79 were smallies. Really? Huh. So you had an equal amount of fish 
and the largemouth were twice as likely to be recaught. Makes sense though, right? Like, do you guys kind of see, uh, can you see that? I would have, I, you know, I guess so. I was thinking smallmouth tend to be so aggressive and sometimes seem so like easily caught that at first blush, it almost is kind of surprising to me, but I don't know. Maybe I'm off on a, the wrong direction with that. My thought is the smallies are so much more nomadic, right? Like, uh, they're just roaming the open. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, they, they, and we'll get to it a little bit, uh, later here but like they were they were a lot more likely to leave in the first place but yeah the largemouth man you you let them go and and those largemouth are just gonna they're gonna pull up to the next to the next closest cover and 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 they're they're living more predictable places and on a big body water like champlain that place is massive man like even if the smallmouth didn't leave the bay they may be cruising a, a big sand flat or 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 cruising an outside grass line whereas that largemouth is gonna pull up to the next to the next dock piece of cover sit there dude and be uh-huh. ready to be caught again and, and that's exactly what happened 185 largemouth and 79 smallies how much are they moving i mean like champlain a lot of those largemouth especially tournament wise are going to come a long ways from the boat ramp aren't they yes yeah, so what's what's really interesting is um so so these fish they were weighed in near plattsburgh new york Cumberland Bay is the name of the big bay that the tournaments go out of over there. Most of the largemouth were caught either in Missisquoi Bay, which is up in Canada, 30 minutes, 30 minute boat ride from the ramp or in Ticonderoga, which is an hour south of the ramp. I mean, it's a massive lake. And those are the two most prominent big bass, largemouth big bass areas on the lake. And so these fish are getting transported all the way over there. The largemouth, none of them ever went back to where they were caught. Not a single one. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yes, very interesting. A huge percentage stay, stayed in that bay. In fact, after two years, um, 50 uh, – 56% of the largemouth were still in that bay that they were released in, in the tournament. Now the bay is not, it's not a little tiny bay. It's a couple miles, but they found a new home. But how does that not become like a largemouth factory then? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Dude. Maybe I don't understand Champlain, but well, I just feel like it's like the North and the South ends are like predominant largemouth. And that's where all, and they just I keep producing tournament winning bags from those areas, you know? my thought is there aren't enough tournaments on Champlain, right? Like for that yeah. to be a thing, like it's not like there are plenty every weekend, there's going to be one, but it might be a club. It right. might be, you're not getting, and it's only for a short time of the year compared to other parts of the country. So like, like one example is Grand Lake. Grand Lake has, they have massive tournaments every weekend and it's, they built a massive, uh, they built a really big facility in the, upper mid to upper end of the lake called wolf creek to my knowledge wolf creek was not a real good creek 20 years ago uh (laughs) it really went down down lake that was everything was was caught down lake in the tournaments and fast forward now we've had wolf creek boat ramp for 10 years that part of the lake is a massive player and uh, down lake is still good but it's it's changed it's completely changed the way the lake fishes in tournaments uh 
because those fish are obviously not swimming all the way back down to the bottom end. It's, you know, one might, but man, for in this scenario, I know it's a long way, but for not a single fish to go back to where it yeah. was caught, it's 30 miles, but that's incredible. And see, that's the large mouth, the small mouth. It was a little bit different. Um, for the small mouth, they were a little bit more likely to move a, a large percent of them still stayed. Uh, 44% of the smallmouth after two years did stay in that bay. So a little bit less than the largemouth. Still a big still number, though. A lot of fish stayed. Yeah. Uh, but they they were more likely to move, <clears throat> and the ones that did move, moved farther. Um, a big, real popular smallmouth area on that lake would be the Inland Sea. To get to the Inland Sea from that weigh-in site, they have these fish have to either they could cross the lake which is just a few miles but they have to go th over some deep water like 80 feet 100 feet deep or they could swim around the rim of the lake which is 10 times the distance but they stay on the bank almost all the fish chose to follow the bank line interesting and swim way further and just follow that continuous bank eventually getting back to where they were rather than just swim take take way shorter and swim across that deep water they did not want to do that that just proves that they need to stay where their food is where they're true where they can feed there's On cover a journey like that yeah 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 they took the scenic route for sure man but where they were still comfortable so i thought that was real interesting and and what one of those smallmouth that was caught in the inland sea eventually did make it back to the inland sea, uh, which was a long, long journey. It took about four months. It just tells you wow. that they're not, they're not on purpose going back to where they came from. I mean, they're not, they're just, those fish just happen to feed their way around the lake like that. I would imagine. A hundred percent. That's a great way to look at it, dude. That's they're, they're going to, if you drop them somewhere and there's enough, if there's enough food and there's enough habitat, they're not going to leave. Why wouldn't they? Right? They would leave if they need it. And you're right. They're going to go until they find it and then they're going to stop. But yeah, it's not like, it's like I was born here. I'm going to come back here and spawn every year on the same rock. Right. You know, uh, that doesn't seem to happen. If, if not... you do think you're experiencing that on your lake, it just happens to be the most, it might be the Prolific best place spot. to spawn. Yeah. Yeah. It's not doing it because it, 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 it wants to spawn and keep the tradition of the same pocket every year. Right. <laughs> right. They like light some candles down there. This is the <laughs> spot. No, talking about that. I mean, this is obviously bass fishing centric, but uh, there's a magazine I like to read and uh, they just cover all sorts of random stuff. There was a, 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 a salmon, um, a pelagic salmon, maybe all salmon are pelagic. That's probably redundant, but they um, took a scale off of it. And somehow through the, the magic of science, we're able, it's almost like a, a, the rings in a tree, you know, where every ring is a year. And if you know what you're looking at, you can read like there was a drought this year because the rings oh, are smaller. Yeah. There's all sorts. So they did this on a, a scale of a salmon and apparently I, it was a, um, it was a Pacific salmon. It was somewhere either in Oregon or Washington and tip, you know, those fish actually do swim all the way back to the specific tributary where they were born. They actually have like a GPS. So they'll swim miles and miles and miles. Dude, this fish made it six times when the average in its species is like maybe two times. And then it talked about like all the dams and the, uh, there's a word for what they call, they build like a fish ladder. Ladders. Yeah. 
Yeah, dude, that fish had navigated those six times in its life. So kind of thinking about how the smallmouth that did make it all the way back to the inland sea, like what a journey it went on. Could you imagine that salmon if it could talk? Oh, and the dude. stories it would tell you of like, well, I swam up here and, you know, an eagle almost got me and then a bear almost ate me, but then I made it back. The salmon's probably the same thing, right? Like, or I mean, the smallmouth's probably the same thing. It's like, what a, what an epic journey. <laughs> yeah, I think the salmon gets the, gets the W on that one. That's pretty unbelievable, man. I'll find it and uh, send it to you guys. I don't think anyone else is interested enough, but I remember reading that and thinking like, Whatever the offspring from that specific fish, that's like the, the top of the, the crop. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the one that you lose as an angler. You hook it, and uh, and, and, and eventually it gets caught by uh, a dude, uh, a dude uh, doing something nuggets. really stupid. Yeah, it's, it, and it, it, it has this absolutely unfitting bad <laughs> death. I had a, a salmon rock. taco last night. I think it was, I think it was that one. <laughs> Lives this amazing Sorry. life. He's going to make it seven times and I screwed it up. <laughs> Dude, it's like the 13-pounder at the marina that gets caught by a, a kid using a, a, a dough ball or a, a right. bread trying fishing. to catch carp or something. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, and then it all comes full circle. Here we are, these enlightened, ridiculous, competitive bass fishermen that have the nuances of how to flip a fish perfectly, and we have it all figured out. And then that one, like, you know, beautiful legendary fish gets caught by a dough ball by somebody who's like, well, I bought my first fishing license this year and I thought I'd give it a shot because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. I think Hilarious. the biggest smallmouth out of Roosevelt was caught like on a crappie minnow, you know, just not on <laughs> purpose. That happens. I mean, it oh, it's it so is. fitting, dude. It makes you yeah. have faith in the randomness of everything. <laughs> At least yeah. it's consistent. Yeah, for sure. It keeps us humble. Well, not so humble as tournament. They were the least humble group of people there is as tournament. Biggest assholes around. (laughs) We deserve it. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, But it was a really, it was a really cool video. And he, he referenced a couple other video or uh, studies. And what are the studies like, like everything on the internet is going to be taken with a grain of salt, right? Like I didn't, I, I did all this research by watching a 10 minute video this morning when I was half asleep at 5, 5 a.m. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. And then at the end of this video, he talked about how they did a study at Lake Shasta where they had 500 bass in 1990. I think it was 1999, maybe early 2000s. And um, he said 83 of them or something were largemouth and then 400 were smallmouth which obviously, uh, if you know Lake Shasta, that's incorrect. They were spotted bass. There's um, smallmouth in there, though. But not for, not that not ratio, 400 dude. Of them. No way. No way. <laughs> they, they, in total, there's 400. <laughs> yeah, maybe. In, right. There, there's not that ratio. So uh, it was probably just a misprint on either his end or whoever had done the study. I'm sure it's probably his end. Nothing against him. It was an awesome video, and, and the graphics he had and everything. It was great, but um, – Assuming they were spots and assuming it's accurate, uh, that study really showed the same thing with the largemouth. They, a huge percentage of the largemouth stayed within one mile of the release site after being released for a long time. But the spotted bass were much more inclined to travel and travel good distances right off the bat. They're, they're much more nomadic fish. They, they aren't afraid to, they are not afraid to get into that open water and swim. And they sure did that. But I think the spots, they're famous for doing that. The smallmouth, like at Champlain, you'll catch them in, 
in, in so-called open water, but smallmouth are not a, a species that suspends a ton. They still like to they eat crawfish. They get they get they they like they still like cover. You know, they call it offshore like structure at that point. Yeah, you know, even if it's a sand, they're on a sand flat, but they're going to sit next to a boulder or, or just whatever. They're not going to suspend like spotted bass. So it, it, I guess, it does make sense that those spotted bass wouldn't be afraid to just go swim off right off the bat. You agree, Rob? Oh, totally. I mean, they spotted bass, in my opinion, act like stripers. They're just schooling fish. They'll relate. They'll relate to shad, school of shad, chasing bait wherever the shad goes. Yeah, go. for sure, for sure. Yep. Uh, but pretty interesting. It definitely goes to show uh, that you should never overlook areas that, you know, when I'm on a new body of water, especially a really vast body of water, river systems and stuff like that, I'm always looking for places where they have tournaments. You know, even yeah. the, you know, back east, they have the Wednesday night, they might have three jackpot tournaments every week where they get 40 boats and they have a jackpot and, and every single three, three nights a week, there are 200 good sized bass being released in that exact same spot every week. That's going to be a good spot. Don't overlook that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Go ahead, Rob. In the early nineties, I think it was like 93, 94. I fished a, uh, Western, uh, bass federation regional. Um, our state team traveled up there to fish and, uh, on Knox and Rapids reservoir in Montana. The first day of the tournament, everybody caught fish all throughout the lake, right? And the Montana guys did okay, but the second and the third day, they just happened to know where the fish were released, and they absolutely <laughs> smashed them. And I believe they tagged all the fish at the weigh-in, and those dudes were like <laughs> weighing in limits of, limits of tagged fish. It was hilarious. That's hilarious, dude. Yep. That is funny. Yeah. yeah they smashed them. There's something to that. They'll bite again. I mean, we, we've seen it tons of times on tour. And uh, they have, you know, nowadays a lot of the, the bigger tournaments have release boats. And that's a good thing for sure. Like to keep things balanced and spread out. Sometimes the release boat drivers are quite lazy. Sometimes they're not. You know, a lot of times that release boat consists of idling out to the end of their no wake zone 500 yards and dumping them out there instead of on the ramp. But, uh, you know. Well, so, a lot of times – those boats aren't capable of going anywhere because they're so heavy and so full of water. True. Yeah. If the it's rough, where are they going to go, dude? Yeah. The beauty of those, the pontoons that I've seen that do it, they release out the bottom. So at least nobody knows where they're released. Right. The guy That's pulls the trigger. He's just going to, I mean, if, if I was running the release boat, I would dump them wherever I wanted to dump them. But, and then I'd run another five miles up the lake just to, Cause you know, dudes stick around wait to see where they're dumping them. Smart dude. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you the opposite of that release boat is what happened in Phoenix a couple weeks ago. Nick uh, sent us oh, this gosh. article <laughs> from <laughs> describe what describe this article. Nick. Yeah. That was maybe more like a, a release semi truck that just happened to be tired of hauling over a thousand pounds of, <laughs> you know, trash fish. Some people might call them. Yeah, there was a um, a spear fishing tournament here locally, and I didn't realize there was even spear fishermen in Arizona. But I guess there's no surprise we're a big city, and didn't realize that was really that common of a thing. But they had a tournament, and apparently they contracted somebody for quote unquote fish disposal. I guess you don't do a lot of catch and release in spear fishing tournaments. I think you know there's probably no dead fish penalties or anything like that, so they probably encourage them to be dead when they bring them in. 
So you can imagine that fish disposal becomes part of the equation when you put on one of those tournaments. So they hired this guy and in his mugshot from the Phoenix police, I don't really know what kind of resume he submitted and who reviewed it because he looks pretty sketchy. He must've just been the low bid. And dude, this guy just like loads up the back of his truck with a thousand pound of carp gizzard shad. You could zoom in and see there was a couple of bluegill in there. There was a few large mouth in there. No, seriously? Oh yeah. There was multiple pictures that, you know, the internet caught on fire. Dude, you can, I'm building, it, you can weigh it. Doesn't yeah, matter what it is. Game fish or not, right? It's kind of wow. one of those, you know, it's it's frowned upon, you know, it's kind of like in the hangover when he talks about what he does on the airplane and doesn't think it's illegal. It's just frowned upon. But anyways, <laughs> he drove into a neighborhood, like just a regular residential neighborhood that was still under construction. So, you know, there's just vacant land. And dude, you would best believe that this guy just dumped over a thousand pounds of nasty rotting dead carp and and threadfin and a few or gizzards and everything dude could you imagine the stench of a thousand pounds of fish in our 95 degree sun right now hey think about what one fish does at the oh. like you, you launch the boat and there's a carp that had washed up on the shore think about that one fish <laughs> and it's, it's like still semi wateringly putrid <laughs> oh talk about a thousand dude just imagine how good of a garden those folks are going to have where that fish pile was. <laughs> Dude, the weeds are going to be 300 feet tall. So apparently that's the thing, not to like gloss over the, you know, from a ecology standpoint, this sounds just like the crime of the millennium. I think with those spearfishing tournaments, they apparently either grind them up into fertilizer. Uh, some people said that they like feed them to animals at the zoo. Pigs. So you, yeah, you want to believe that they find the because it seems like senseless slaughter. And I still don't know for sure if I'm on board with it being anything more than senseless killing. But at least if it goes to a good cause, then there's, you know, like a net karmic end to it all. But this guy, dude, his his uh, mugshot is so funny. He looks like confused and scared. Like, I don't understand why I'm here right now being detained does, by the local police. Like, this doesn't make any sense. I got paid money to dispose of fish, and I just drove them out to somewhere and disposed of them. This makes no sense, but it's like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, he's like, Dude. the dumpster was full. Where, is it, where was <laughs> yeah. I supposed to put them? I put it next to the dumpster, so that right. counts. Dude, and the internet just caught on fire. There's a couple of different Facebook groups here locally that, uh, you know, one of them we've had tie on is AZ anglers. And that's a community of people that have been fishing for a while. There's some newer people, but you know, by and large people know what's up. And then there's another group that I think it's maybe just part of the Arizona game and fish, but it's just fish AZ. Are either of you guys in fish? AZ? No, I need to be though. Apparently. Yeah. So that's where like, you get a lot of like super green people that don't totally have any experience. And they're just like, Hey, check it out. Like I'm fishing in this canal under a bridge next to the freeway. And I caught this, you know, grass carp, which is cool. But hearing the comments from those folks, seeing this guy, you know, dumping fish, that's like bathroom reading material for the ages. Like the level of comments and like random buffoonery was, yeah, it was beautiful. Awesome. God bless America. That's yeah, who'd cool. ever thought our, our, one of our biggest pastimes would be comments on the, Dude, keyboard warriors that's yeah. that the league of them that's who's going to save us from the you know the invasion as our debt overtakes us we could be like learning valuable things <laughs> and uh, we're literally reading that Watching but TikTok it is and, it, and we're talking about it right now dude 
but it was a crazy story and it did, it made all the local news and stuff. And uh, it, it, the, the only kind of sad irony was they were like, you know, a local fishing tournament at Lake uh, yeah. uh, produced this and like not a spear fishing tournament and, and, and not, you know, it was just like to your average Joe, like I got my hair cut the other day and, and when I, the lady asked what I did and I told her what I did and uh, I was like afraid that she was going to shave a hole in my head because she was so against. Oh, like, so she knew about the carp drop? No, 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 no. But she uh, was, she was nice, but she was like, she's you hurt she thinks it hurts the fish and the animals and stuff like that and i was like oh man you know like i've never really seriously uh but yeah but like all those people are are watching that clip on the news and then they you know they see what we do and and they don't quite understand what your money in a fishing license the amount that actually goes towards conservation and what anglers do as a whole for conservation in the outdoors and stuff like that they just see that dude and we're and just slaughtering fish and dumping them on the side of the road. It's it's all the same. And she only thinks that, know. dude. She only thinks that because she watched that Netflix documentary Sea Spiracy that's so popular right now. That really, uh, yeah, I watched it and it is eye opening. You know, it's it's talking about oceans, not freshwater stuff, but maybe in one aspect it's all connected. But they do cite a few like you know scientific studies that prove that fish have the ability to feel pain and fear. I was like, well, those carp definitely felt some pain as they were sitting there baking in the open sun. So unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. I just want to, I want to see Josh sitting there after he tells this lady this. It gets all awkward. She's just holding the He's clippers like, like six inches from his head. Dude, uh-huh. I was like, oh my God. Like typically it doesn't go, like normally people think it's cool that you're a fisherman, you know, but I was like, whoa. I took Should a big like, deep gulp and I'm like, okay, let's change the uh, conversation. Hopefully she doesn't hack off a bald spot in my head here. You'd be like, Hey, I made a baseball card of myself with like an action shot of me setting the hook. <laughs> I'll sign that for you later. If you're interested. Driving that hook into that yeah. fish. Uh, that's a six odd. You're so mean, it. Josh. Uh, that was pure yeah. braid. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. But hey, uh, that's all I got. This has been a fun episode. Uh, do you guys have anything else before we uh, wrap this one up? Nope. Just awesome. uh, hopefully we can go catch some fish this next week. Yeah, yeah good luck to you drugs. guys on that. Thanks. Uh, Nick, I'll probably see you later today. And as always, thanks to the listeners. Thanks for the great questions. Um, you know, thanks for listening. As always, make sure if you can share it with your buddies, tell your buddies about it. Uh, we really, again, we still appreciate all the reviews and ratings on iTunes. Those help us um, with the search. We think they help us with the search engine when people search fishing. If we have a lot of positive reviews and ratings, we think we'll be easier to find. So uh, hey, keep those coming if you can. I'll build off of that that uh, comment, man. You had mentioned that we are narrowing, narrowing is a combination of nearing and zeroing. So I don't think that's a word. We are narrowing in on 100,000 downloads, you said. And that right there is something that is like mind blowing in the sense that like, dude, when we started this, I think we were shooting for like 100 downloads. So just a heartfelt, sincere thank you. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. Thank uh, big thanks to uh, to a lot of you guys. We know we've got definitely uh, some some really loyal listeners, and uh, we we have a lot of fun uh, 
uh, going back and forth on the show. And also same thing, you know, it's fun when we see someone on the water and they mention the podcast or have something. It's, it's the best is when people it's, bag on Nick. It's literally it's not the, the best. It's the actually, best thing. It's and the it worst. happens a lot. It's so much fun. So uh, That's the this only is actually, Nick, this is actually just a joke that Josh and I were doing. It's pretty elaborate, isn't it? Like we figured, okay, see if we can get Nick bagged on. Dude, so. ears are just smoking through these gamer headphones that I'm wearing. I'm just going to go back to playing War of the Worlds or something with these head. I just, yeah, the feedback's great except for making fun of me. If we could cut that out, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. No, Obviously, I'm more. kidding. We need no. more of that. It's like more cowbell. Don't stop that, folks. Yep. More bagging on Nick. Awesome. Thanks again, guys, and uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.